All right, what's going on, everyone? From a slightly noisy porter shop, we are lasering and cutting and building stuff this morning, so I'm recording the intro to this podcast during that. So you may hear some noise in the background, but uh, that is reality of uh, production and business and all that. So we do appreciate your support. The machines are running, and and we're winding, and we're building because uh, of your support this summer. So again, we do appreciate that. Um, today, we are in episode 64. We're going to be joined by Blake from the Tone Mob. If you're unfamiliar with the Tone Mob, it is a all sorts of gear nerd ish kind of thing. It's a podcast. It's a Facebook group. And um, he also is involved in other podcasts. So Blake has all sorts of things going. And we're going to talk to him about a wide range of subjects. We'll get to that interview in just a minute. I do want to mention something really exciting going on in the, in the shop this week. And for the last few weeks, we've been testing some new pickups. And that's always a, an exciting thing for us, testing new pickup models. And this is for a kind of a slightly different project than we've done before, uh, but it's really exciting to to hear new sounds when you design something and, and you finally get a chance to kind of hear what the designs result in. Um, it's, oh, there's a little bit of uh, nervousness and a little bit of like hesitation, like, okay, did it work? Did it sound like I want to? And we've been doing this long enough. We're able to we're able to get it right pretty often, but there's still that kind of unknown. Sometimes we make something and it just doesn't sound good and we have to throw it away. Uh, but in this case, we have uh, actually five new pickup models that will be coming out at some point this fall. And we're really, really excited. I've been mentioning some teaser stuff and I'll get into the real nitty gritty details as we continue through some of these shows. We're about ready to, uh, to leak what this is all about, um, some of these new things, but we are excited. They sound great, and we also have a bunch of guitar stuff coming out this week as well. So this is a cool week for, for the podcast, but also for, for the business as a whole. A lot of new new things kind of uh, that we've been building through the summer, and now we're ready to release a couple of cool variations of some of our guitars. So I do want to mention before we get to that interview with Blake, we've had a blast this summer with all of our guests, and we have a lot more guests coming. We keep mentioning that, but. It's exciting for us to just talk to people from all sides of the industry. And we're actually going to get into some other sides of the industry in the next uh, couple weeks here, just different types of builders, people that work at venues, people that are artists. Uh, it's, it's crazy. It's really fun. We have a lot of cool things working. And Blake's perspective that we talk about today is pretty interesting. So I'll go ahead and jump to that interview right now. We cover all sorts of crazy topics uh, along with some gear regrets and all sorts of other things. So let's go to that conversation now. We are joined here by Blake Wyland and Blake, I'm not sure how to introduce you other than you are a podcast guru. Is that fair to say? Um, I don't know about guru, but I've, I've done a lot of it. <laughs> you do a lot of podcasts. <laughs> so, so I guess we'll, we'll start there. Start with um, your own podcast, which is the tone mob. And you're also involved in the chasing tone podcast with Brian Wampler. So we figured, you know, it's got to be Brian and Blake if you're going to do another pro- podcast. So here we are. It's Brian and Blake and I'm, I'm no substitute for for Brian Wampler, but uh, kind of just tell everyone about your two podcasts that, uh, I mean, your main podcast. I don't know. Do you have more than more than those two? Well, it's funny that you should ask that, Brian. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's, this is the vortex. I'm going to call this episode the podcast vortex. So yeah, yeah, so I'm actually in the middle of uh, 
trying to get one off the ground. We're, we're recording a few episodes right now to try to get like a a flow with the aforementioned, well, before we were recording, uh, Scott from Stringjoy. And he's always wanted to have a podcast, he, but he was never really sure how to do it. Not like physically how to do it, but like what the format should be and what, what should it be about and all that jazz. And so we've got an interesting thing we're experimenting with right now. And we're going to record a few episodes and see how we like the results and go from there. And then I've I've been kicking around starting another podcast because it's not like I don't have enough going on right now. <laughs> about I've really, really enjoyed the, the process with doing the Tone Mob podcast. And it's really evolved over time. You know, in the very beginning, it was going to be you know, gear, gear, and more gear, and just talking about gear and nothing else. And it that's what the intention started out with, but it never really was that. It was always more about the people. And so we'll go off into all kinds of tangents. Yeah, we talk about gear, and that's like the centering point, but it it goes everywhere, man. I just did one with uh, Ian Fowles from the Aquabats, and on the Patreon episode, we spent 40 minutes talking about aliens. Nice. Uh, so, you know, it just, <laughs> it goes everywhere. But, and so what I realized is those are the parts of the conversation that I really liked. And there are more people than just guitar people that I want to talk to. So I'm really considering starting another show where I was trying to figure out like, what's the point? Like I want it to be interview based. I want it to be basically the same format, but I want to be able to talk to folks that are not from the guitar world because I have other interests, believe it or not. And so I'm I'm kicking around the idea of like doing this like off the beaten path podcast. Like I'll talk to people who, you know, are entrepreneurs, talk to people who live in a tiny home, live, you know, talk to people who are rock climbers or power lifters, or just people who do things that aren't normal. Yeah, like ra- like that, raising llamas or something like that, right? Totally. Like anything. I'm interested in so many different things and I realize that they all kind of hub around living some aspect of your life differently than the rest of the crowd. And I'm like, well, that seems like that could be a podcast. I'm sure it's not wholly unique. I know there's lots of people doing things like that, but I want to do it too and see what happens. Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah. That, that is cool. So so then, you know, for those who don't know, uh, Blake has what what he calls the Shred Shed. Now, if you're familiar with his podcast, you know all about the Shred Shed. But let's talk about what the Shred Shed is. And then more importantly, if you come up with another podcast, are you going to need another shed that is themed to your new podcast subject? <laughs> I think I can probably use the same one. I think that's probably allowed. Okay. Uh, especially because you've been to my house. I don't exactly have another place to put one that wouldn't be slightly awkward. <laughs> it might have least. to be one of those like kid castles, you know, from, uh, from one of those playground stores or something like that. You know, welcome to Blake's... Uh, World of Wonders or something like that, right? Something yeah, some, like that. I don't know if when you were here that my kid's massive play fort was under construction or not, but that's the only other place I could have put it was in the back corner of my property, uh, which I say property and it sounds like I have some sprawling estate. It's like a <laughs> 10,000 square foot lot. Um, but it got a pretty good sized play structure where it would have been the only logical place to put another structure. So I think I'm structured out nice but, uh, okay so you, yeah. you're just gonna have to adapt maybe it can be like one of those things where you know some some curtains drop down and the theme changes or something like that yeah we'll warm it up somehow yeah. <laughs> so so i guess for those who don't know about the shred shed 
describe what it is. It's it's sort of the like I think of it as the the headquarters for all your podcasting, but also kind of your your gear nerdness is all like contained in the shred shed. So just to, for people who don't know, tell them what the shred shed is. Okay. Well, here is the story of the shred shed. So I started really getting into gear just a couple years before I started all this tone mob stuff on Instagram and the podcast and all that. And I quickly realized that I was either going to have to sell stuff or I was going to have to move it out of the designated room I had it in in the house. And that compounded with the fact that I couldn't turn an amp up like at all without ruining the whole family's lives. Uh, you know, kind of made like, let's make, let's make a, a spot for this. And it started out, it wasn't going to be quite as robust as it is. It was going to be just like a kind of just like a man cave. Uh, you know, I was going to have like a TV and I was into craft beer brewing at the time. And I was going to have a little brewing setup out there and realized that like the music stuff was quickly overtaking the majority of my interests. I haven't brewed in forever and don't have a lot of interest in getting back into it. Uh, I still like myself a beer, but you know, I'll let other people do it. And, uh, I, I realized I, um, I, I wanted to be able to turn up and play and I wanted to be able to record drums and I wanted to be able to like really do music stuff. So I basically, without going into the details of the construction, I made this place as sound isolated as I could possibly afford to. So those that know anything about trying to soundproof quote unquote a space, if you're doing it the right way, it gets real expensive, like really expensive because it requires a lot of mass and building materials and specialized things. And so I didn't, I didn't do it the hundred percent way that a guy would if he was trying to set up a, a professional studio, but I did it the way uh, I could afford to. And, and the results are pretty good. You know, I can, I can turn it up out here and the neighbors don't really know unless they're really listening close and then they're too close to my yard in my opinion. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. They're like, what's going on in that building back there? They must be sampling guitars and amps. Yeah, exactly. So it's a, it's, it's pretty cool. It let's me be able to get out here and turn up amps and get loud and, and shoot videos and do all kinds of stuff. And, and it, more importantly, it gave me a bunch of storage space for, uh, my gear obsession. So <laughs> that's great. That's, I, I think that's we, what all, it is. we all need a shred shed. I mean, we, you know, I'm saying this as a guy who has, we have a showroom and all that stuff. So I kind of have my own shred shed, if you will, here at the shop, but you know, it would be cool to have a shred shed in the backyard. That's not also holding a lawnmower and a weed eater and everything else <laughs> that you right. need for a yard. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I have one of those too. Uh, it's a lot smaller and a lot cheaper to build. In fact, I'm in the middle of reorganizing it right now, but that's another story. But nice. yeah, the nice. the shed is, uh, it's my place where I work. It's my place where I come nerd out. It's, uh, as I tell people, it's the best piece of gear I own. Nice. That's cool that you have a place too that, that is, is, you know, a mini getaway, if you will. You can go and maybe think, but you can also create and, and do what you do. Um, which, you know, you're probably, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what the count is, but off the top of your head, how many podcasts do you think you've done? Oh, geez. So I know I'm creeping up on 200 Tone Mob episodes, and I'm well over 200 Chasing Tone episodes, and then sprinkle in, you know, 
20 or 30 uh, of not my own episodes that I've done like this, for instance, yeah. over the years. So, yeah, several hundred, um, which sounds like a lot. But then I look at some of the biggest podcasts in the world, like, like Mark Marin and Joe Rogan and that, and I'm like, oh, you, oh, wow. I feel like I've done a lot, but you've done 1,500 yeah. episodes. <laughs> so yeah. I got a ways to go. Yeah, yeah. So as you started, and we'll just kind of touch on this really quickly and move on to something else I want to chat about. But um, as you started with the podcast to where you are now, maybe not so much about the gear, but but what has changed about um, you know doing that many episodes? Like, what have you learned? Obviously, probably the first time you hit record on it and tried to make one, it was it was maybe horrible. But what have you learned through that process? And as you've gotten better at doing podcasts and and you do a lot of interviews. I don't think you do as many solo podcasts or, or at least you're having a conversation with someone else mostly. Yeah, I've very, very rarely done anything solo. I obviously do my intros and outros as a solo piece. And sometimes those take exceedingly long for me to actually get done for the couple minutes that they are. So I don't think I would be the best solo podcaster. Um, in fact, the, really the only solo thing I did that I thought thought really was any good was for my patrons and it was kind of like a state of the union type address at the beginning of all this COVID craziness because I just had to tell them and just be honest like I don't know what's going to happen I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep doing this at the you know frequency that I've been doing it because I just don't know what's going to happen yeah (laughs) so and so I was a very like long probably somewhat distraught uh episode that that was like probably my most cohesive solo thing that I've done and only a handful of people have really heard it and probably ever will. But (laughs) for interviews, one thing that I've, I've really listened or learned over the years is like, especially if you're coming around to like a particular subject matter that you and the guests both care about, just, just let it flow. It's going to be fine. I, I used to like prepare questions and had all this stuff. And that's still good for some people, but it's become completely unnecessary for me. I have a few questions that I ask every time, but really it's about what does the interviewee respond? You know, how do they respond to those first couple questions? And then take it from there. Really listen to what they say and try to take it in a direction that the conversation is naturally going towards. Because if you try to like, force it it sounds forced yeah and so i like to just let things flow you know yeah some guests have asked for some questions like what kind of questions are you going to ask me i'm like well here's like the three that i ask every time but yeah you know beyond that it's gonna it could be anything and some people like that some people are a little bit nervous but once they get into it they get done and almost i've never had anybody actually i was gonna say almost 100 percent, but it's so far 100 percent. people get done and they're like wow that was really great. I can't believe that that we've already done an hour. And it's like just finding ways to put your guests at ease so they can really express themselves is the way to go about it. Yeah, that makes sense. And just just having, I think that natural conversation is is important. And hopefully, it's interesting, like you said. Hopefully, it's a uh, it's relative and it's it's like in the the realm of whatever. Whether it's aliens or uh, Stratocasters, we can talk about you know whatever whatever interests us at the moment. Um, I do want to I, I do want to kind of get into the current events with the uh, all the COVID stuff and the in the gear industry. I'm interested in some of your thoughts on maybe like the pulse of the gear industry. You mentioned that that time it's, it probably was in March about when when all of us this all hit and we were like, man, what is going to happen? 
There's, there's no gigs. There's no, you know, there's no bar gigs. There's no gatherings. Music stores are closed for a while. And, and um, so what, as, as you've walked through this a little bit for yourself and just as you've talked to a lot of people in the industry, what's kind of the pulse of the industry right now, if you could sum it up? Basically, you know, almost shockingly, everyone that I've talked to, it's like trying to get parts is the hardest part. Like I was concerned that demand was going to shrivel up for a lot of this stuff, which would make sense, right? Like people, if you got to choose between fuzz pedals and food, <laughs> as much as I want to say, choose fuzz pedals, you, you know, honestly, you got to eat. So I was really concerned that that's what we would see. And for some people, that's definitely happened. There are definitely a lot of people hurting right now, but it doesn't seem to be the demographic that buys the stuff that most of my friends sell, I guess. Um, everyone seems to be pretty busy right now, and they're either busy because their sales are up or they're busy because they, you know, are working around various lockdown situations or part supply situations. But either way, people are really busy right now in the gear world and it kind of took me by surprise to be perfectly honest sure i was yeah do you i was very surprised to see that do you feel like it's um it's been somewhat of a mentality theme between these companies like we're we're gonna make this work no matter what kind of that like entrepreneurship mentality or has it been has it been just the fact that the gear industry is kind of like you know what i'm still gonna buy gear because I'd like to, you know, for us, for us, it's been a lot of like, you know, people want to fix that strat that's been in their closet for, you know, 10 years. And they're finally like, well, I'm working from home. So technically I have a little bit more time. You know, I could be working, but I could be soldering my new pickups in right now too. So I think for us, that's what we've seen. I think that's a huge part of it. Like the amount of people that are working from home and I can tell you as a person who transitioned from working at a place where I had an hour and a half commute both ways to working at home here a couple of years ago, and I got like three hours a day back. So three hours a day is a lot. You can you can get a lot done in three hours a day, whether you're trying to practice, you want to work out, whatever it is. And I know I'm not the only one who's experienced that lately. So it isn't just the fact that you know, working from home for a lot of people is, it, it, you know, more flexible. Obviously, you don't have a boss looking over your shoulder 24-7. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to go make a sandwich while I take this phone call. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you know, it's also the fact that they don't have to commute and you just simply get more time in your day back. And, man, I think everybody, if, I know not everybody had a long commute like that, but even if it was a 20-minute commute, getting 40 minutes of your day back is huge. Like, yeah. that's huge. So that makes sense. I think I think it's a time thing. I think people have a little more time on their hands, and you know, if they're fortunate enough to still be working, then it's like, well, why not buy that overdrive? You know, maybe I don't want to splurge and get a twenty thousand or two thousand dollar guitar, but like a couple hundred dollar pedal, sure, why not? I can I can do that. Yeah, or some pickups, you know, or whatever. Yeah, people have been kind of holding on to, at least I've seen in some of our circles, people have been holding on to the money that goes to the higher dollar stuff. At least, you know, they're like, they've got the money, but some people are kind of afraid of the what ifs. And so maybe they're, like you said, they're, yeah, they're going to be like, well, I'll just buy the, maybe I'll buy the Mexican strap version of this 
guitar, this Fender I wanted, or I'll buy the PRS SE or something instead of, you know, the full PRS, just because just I want a guitar, but maybe I should save that money right now just in case. Yeah, and I think that's the move, you know. I, I think people should treat themselves. I think that's a good thing to do. But also you got to be responsible about it, and I think that's a perfectly fine way to go about things. Yeah, yeah. It feels like people are being more responsible, which is probably ultimately better for the uh, the debt situation for us gear gear nerds, you know. I think that people were pretty quick to, uh, you know, just rip out the credit card and buy a bunch of gear. But now it's like, well, I don't have a gig. Or I, I talked to a lot of guys who, you know, they were only bar musicians, but they played four times a week, and that was like their gear money. You know, that was the spending money that their wife would allow them to use on their gear, and now those gigs don't exist. So they're, they're kind of like, well, maybe I'm not going to buy this right now, but maybe, you know, maybe down the road I'll buy it or, I'll, uh, you know, I'll only buy a couple packs of strings this time instead of a box or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, and I think it's also just the fact that people aren't spending money on other things. So, like, you know, travel, not doing that really that much, going to restaurants, starting to become more of a thing, but it's less of a thing. And, you know, just like you're not going to the movies, you're not going to the mall as much, you're not, you're just not spending money on these other things. So I wonder if some people are ending up at the end of the month being like, how do I have more money in my bank account? It's like, (laughs) oh, it's because I didn't spend $300 at bars and restaurants this month. I guess I'll buy a new uh, whatever piece of gear. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about it that way because it is whether you want to or not, it's, it's more inconvenient to go out to eat in a lot of places right now. For sure. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, and some people are just hesitant anyway. It's like, uh, I don't know. I guess I'm going to stay home and I'll just cook this. Uh, this. I think what's really been cool about this whole thing, if there are any cool parts, it's I a lot of people I know are learning to cook. And I like that. I like to see that because I, I like cooking quite a bit. And it's nice to see people not view it as labor so much as a, <laughs> as a fun thing to do. Yeah, yeah, totally. I was listening to your podcast um, this week kind of a, with the news of, of NAM, the Chasing Tone podcast. I'm going to plug that for you here. But uh, with, with Brian from Wampler Pedals, you guys were talking about the news about the NAM show officially being canceled, the winter NAM show for 2021. Um, that kind of leads me into this, like, you know, as we're all trying to look forward and it feels a little bit cloudy, what what are you thinking about kind of where the gear industry is going as you know as a whole and and obviously people have been and will continue to adapt it feels like there's sort of a mindset to adapt but where do you think things are going and and maybe who are some companies that you've seen uh you know at the forefront of adapting to things being canceled or limited so i have been saying for years that i think things are going to go more and more direct and less and less retail in basically anything that's like, I would say probably $700 and under in the gear world. I think people are extremely comfortable buying online. And if they weren't before the pandemic, they got extremely comfortable buying online after the pandemic. And I, and it sounds so weird to say, right? Like for some of us who are so digitally focused, we're like, yeah, well, duh. But there are still some holdouts, you know, that, want to buy f- traditionally you know my wife is actually kind of that way she likes going to the store and she had to learn that she doesn't get to go to the store as often you know and uh i think that 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 we're going to continue to see that like once you get 
hooked on e-commerce, like I can just click this and then it shows up in a few days. That's pretty cool. You know, like that's, that's pretty convenient <laughs> and it costs sometimes less than going to the store. Uh, I just think everything is going to be more and more direct to consumer. I think we're going to see big box retail shrinking in the gear market and in just in general. In fact, I was reading an article yesterday about uh, New York City and how a bunch of retailers are closing down and and they have zero plans on reopening. Uh, wow. Big retailers like JCPenney, Neiman Marcus. Uh, there was a Victoria's Secret there that they, in this article, they were paying almost like a million dollars a month in rent. Whoa. It was like $987,000 or something like it. It was like bananas. And the people who own these businesses and they were just like, it's not worth it. It doesn't make any sense for us. Like it used to like be a nice marketing thing to be like New York city, you know, on your, on your, uh, uh, bag or whatever. And they're just like, it's not worth it anymore. It, it, we can't make it pencil. And so, we're seeing that. I think California for the first time has actually seen a not, it's like the first year they haven't seen growth. They've seen a pullback in population. So mm. not because people are dying, but like, cause they're, they're leaving. They're bailing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I think we're starting to see some of these like hot spots that are really expensive to operate in are going to shrink. And the reason I was going there with the gear stuff is I remember last time I was in Manhattan, I didn't realize there was a guitar center there. And it's big. And I like going into it, I was like, whoa, this is an expensive piece of real estate. I wonder how they make this work because there was nobody in it. Mm. Like, uh, and that was, you know, a year and a half ago or so. So I think we're just going to see big box retail continue to shrink and pull back. It will never go away, I don't think. And I don't think the mom and pop guitar stores that are really cool will ever go away because it's kind of like the movies, right? It's fun to go to the movies, even though you can stream it at home. It's still fun to go to the theater and like make a night of it. It's fun to go to the guitar store. Oh yeah, you know I I definitely use the I gotta go get strings as an excuse <laughs> just to go there and browse around and see things. Yeah, you there's know? still that what if of like what might be on the wall or what you know what got brought in on consignment this week and uh, that's always the you know half the you know, half the time it's like oh cool they got a new shipment of Squires in. And you leave like mm-hmm. kind of disappointed, but every once in a while, there's something like one of the local shops here got this this um, Tokai like Junior with two P90s. You know, something you don't really see hanging up in a shop very often. And yeah, I was like oh man, I love those. I love the Tokais and like just getting a chance to like check it out, play it, and that was like sort of the the nerd out thing that I got to do recently. Yeah, exactly. The, the you just like. You know, yes, you can order strings online, but you could also like go get your strings at the cool store and possibly find that Tokai or that Telly you've been looking for, or you know, whatever something used. That's the thing about uh, Old Town here in Portland is their used category. You never know what they're gonna have. Every time you go in there, it's like a new adventure. Yeah. So I don't think the high quality retailers like that are gonna be as affected. By the pullback in retail, um, I think the big guys are going to see that. Uh, I don't think Sweetwater will be as impacted. I think Sweetwater has built up enough systems over time and is not reliant on people going to Sweetwater. You know, they they've they've been ahead of that curve for years. So I just think, yeah, it's going to be more and more direct to consumer as far as the gear world's concerned. And I think this pandemic has 
only accelerated that. Yeah, and I hope I hope too. Kind of a, you know, you mentioned Sweetwater, and they're so known for their customer service and the way they take care of you know all the aspects of the purchasing and and all that. And I think that maybe that will be one of the things that comes out of this too. Is like you can't really afford in this time to to be a jerk to your your clientele when they walk in your store. You can't be like the stuffy guy in the corner, be like, "Don't touch any guitars." You know, I, I don't think those guys are going to be able to last now because you're, you'll be lucky if you get a bunch of walk-ins. And some, you know, some parts of the country, people are like, "I'm not going to the guitar store right now." You know? Oh yeah, totally, totally. I think that that general vibe of a guitar store is is definitely on its way out. I know that used to be way more common back in the day. It was like, "Don't touch the guitars," yeah. "Don't." <laughs> do that don't and it's like i know for me personally and like my friends as soon as we're met with that kind of attitude it's like i am out i am not gonna spend my money here i i know too many cool people in this business to want to waste money on jerks like i'm gonna go play i remember i've told this story a lot and so hopefully it's not a repeat for people but there was a local retailer here in town had amazing selection of stuff and an amazing uh collection of vintage guitars and at the time I was really in the market for a vintage jazz master I really wanted an old jazz master and I walked in and I saw oh they got a 65 burst up there it looks really nice I was like hey I'm interested in that guitar can I uh can I play it and they were like straight up like straight faced we don't let people play our vintage guitars <laughs> I was like wait I, but I, I would like to possibly purchase that guitar and I can't play it like nope I was like, why in the world do you not let people play your your vintage guitars? And they said, because people buy them online without playing them, so why should we let people who walk in play them? Oh. I was like, wow, okay. And I was like, I guess I'll take my money somewhere else. See you later. Wow, that's that's crazy. <laughs> You're like, I really did actually kind of want it, but now like, I don't want that one. I'll go find another one. You yeah. Know? I was like, I'll, I'll be going to Old Town Music now. See you later. Man, that's... <laughs> That's insane. I know I'm in the same way, you know, if you go into a store and it's just like, you know, what do you want? You know, what are you here for? Or like we, I've told this, this one before too, but like when I was young growing up, I started going to the music stores and there was a couple stores that were like, that were that way. They're like, what do you want, punk kid? You know, and then the stores that were really cool, I ended up shopping there for a long time because it was like, man, you guys like just let me come and play my horrible blues licks on your, you know, Fender Blues Deluxe and and all that stuff. <laughs> you let me come in and do that for for probably like a full year before I actually bought anything from you. Um, but then I went back and purchased a couple of guitars for them, you know, when I got a job and <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah, I mean it's it's just the natural progression of things, right? You know, even and, and this exists online as well. You know, Sweetwater is the good example in our industry. But, you know, Zappos really started that whole be nice to the customer on the internet thing where they would just go over the top just to sell you a pair of shoes and they would take such good care of everybody. Um, and I think that's just what customers have rightly come to experience is you you deserve to be taken care of. If you're going to spend money somewhere, why should you be treated like dirt? It doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's that's always the the part of it that this doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And especially now, um, I think people just don't tolerate it anymore. I think those people maybe got away with it because they were the only show in town or they, 
had all the really cool stuff and they're like, fine, just don't, you know, don't bother me kind of deal. Maybe it's, maybe that's going to, going to get out the door here soon. I hope at least. There, there's always going to be some holdouts, but yeah, I think by and large that will be the new normal or one of the many new normals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever all the new normals together look like <laughs> as far as exactly. like, you know, uh, transitioning just a little bit into uh, the contents of what's in the shred shed. Uh, what what kind of guitars are you? Gra- I know you've got a lot of guitars in there. If anyone's ever seen pictures, um, you can check that out. But um, what are you gravitating towards? What uh, maybe like a a single guitar, a couple pedals, and an amp? What what's kind of been your go to gear lately? Boy, you're making this hard on me. I am. Um, lately. As of today, Damn. as of this morning at 9 a.m., which what is your favorite guitar? <laughs> <laughs> well, my favorite guitar and like the burning building guitar, people have heard me say this a million times, but it's my Les Paul Jr. that was my grandpa's. So if I could only take one and the shred shed was suddenly on fire, it would 100% be that guitar. It's a 1955 Jr. that belonged to my grandpa and he gave it to me. So yeah, that's pretty easy i have several though that i would be sad about losing all all of them really because i don't have anything that i don't really have much crossover i try not to buy guitars that are basically the exact same i know some people like only like telecasters or they only like les pauls and that's not really my game i have more les pauls than anything else but only only two of them are kind of similarly loaded and that would be my first ever electric guitar, which was my Les Paul Special, which has got two fairly hot humbuckers in it, and then my Les Paul Custom, which was a dream guitar of mine from when I was a teenager, which has two like PAFs in it. So those are the those are the most you know closely related. Everything else is like completely different. So yeah, but yeah, sense. the Les Paul Junior would be my my one I'm grabbing if I absolutely had to get out. Um, All right, what's your one pedal and your one amp then? One pedal is like, that's not even fair. (laughs) I know, it's not not fair. That's why I want to ask you that. (laughs) The one pedal, if I have to choose, would probably be, hmm, well, so this will make more sense if I start with the one amp. So Okay. You're you're building the the um, the single item gear rig right now. So. Yeah, so the one amp would easily be my my Benson Vincent. So that's uh, you know, it's got my kid's name on it. It's the first one that he ever made. It's a, an amazing all-around amp. So that would easily be my first choice. It's got, you know, a switchable dirt channel which will help since I can only have one pedal. Uh that'll help. Um <laughs> But I think the the one pedal I would grab would probably be. So I, I got two schools of thought on this. One would be like, let's go for versatility and one of your favorite effects, which is reverb. So the one school of thought w- would be get my Dr. Scientist uh, atmosphere because it has so many different awesome reverb algorithms in it and so many different sounds and some really wild ones. And I could put that in the effects loop of the Vincent and I'd be pretty happy with that. But the other school of thought is I have this delay pedal that I really love um, that I helped kind of like tune in the final stages, which is the Mr. Black Tape X2. 
I have the prototype of that and I really love how that pedal sounds. It's a, a tape delay. It's a stereo tape delay that just sounds bananas. Um, so my heart would want to say that one, <laughs> but at the same time, I think the, that makes the most sense to say probably the doctor scientist yeah. uh, atmosphere. Okay. I like how you're kind of like feeling like you're negotiating with me to include two pedals even though I asked, <laughs> I asked you for one. <laughs> You're like, but I kind of think this would be, like, does it count if it's in the effects loop or not? You know, like. <laughs> right. So you wouldn't go with a drive pedal. You would you would do, uh, in theory, would you do, um, you know, a, a cranked amp and use your volume knob or would how would that kind of go? Yeah, just because of the Vincent and the nature of how it works, I could probably be fairly satisfied with the dirt on that because it sounds really good. Uh, it's, because it's switchable so the vincent for those that don't know is a combination of the benson vinnie which is a one watt amp and the benson chimera slightly modified chimera which is this 30 watt you know fairly clean amp the vinnie has an instrument out on it that is a low enough signal that you can actually use it like an overdrive pedal but you're getting full power amp and or excuse me full tube and uh, transformer distortion when you crank it up, which you can't really do any other way. So you get that at any volume level if you run it into a bigger amp, and that's kind of what the, well, it's not kind of, that is what the Vincent does. It takes the Vinny, and when you turn on the dirt section, it engages that entire amplifier and slams it into the front of the Chimera, which is really unique in the amp world. So I could be pretty happy with that. Yeah, and running a dog, a single doggy or P90 bridge through it, right? Mm-hmm. That's, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, I do want to touch on P90s. Just, I just want to stay in the P90 world for a while. Um, I find, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, but I find that P90s are this like, they're like the the hot topic on Facebook of the day or something. Like people people really are on one side of the fence or another. I found on P90s, they're like they either just love them to death or they're like, man, these are too powerful. They're too intense or they're too noisy or whatever it might be. What's been your experience with P90s? Kind of having a P90 guitar for probably the longest of almost any guitar that you've had. I mean, it's amazing what you can do with a junior. Like with one volume, one tone and a P90, it seems like you shouldn't be able to get as many different sounds out of that as you can. But it's really, really impressive what you can do when you're that stripped down. I, The only complaint that I would give people about a P90 is the noise. They are noisier. I get that. They definitely are. But, you know, I don't care. Like, I can handle a little noise. I mean... In normal situations where I'm not restricted to one pedal, I got so much fuzz going. There's there's going to be noise going, you know, going on with any guitar that I'm using. So that doesn't really bother me. And I think that there's nothing like a P90. That, you know, Mike Ness was really onto something with his you know whole trick of tuning to D standard, or yeah, D standard, yeah, and then put putting a capo on to get it up to standard. I thought that was like, didn't make any sense. I was like, well, how does that sound different? But then every time I listen to Social D, I'm like, well, this sure does have something to it. And when I tried it, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's right. So I, I keep mine parked in D standard, which also sounds great, 
tuning it down a little bit with the the junior. And then when I want to play standard, I put the capo on and I pretend to be Mike Ness. It's wonderful. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I just love, I mean, I really love a good P90. I love a good dual soap bar set. We we have one that we use an Alnico 2 magnet in the neck and then an Alnico 5 in the bridge. And that sort of gets like a lot of that big fat sweetness from the neck, but then you can get some of the bite when you get down to the bridge as you're kind of in the you know, venturing into junior and then almost jazzy territory within one configuration. I've always, I've always sort of gravitated to that. It's like, why not make it versatile? Like even you mentioned a one P90 guitar can be pretty versatile, especially, you know, control that volume knob and slap a fuzz in front of it that you can't, you know, you can't beat that tone. Oh, it's so good. I love it. And it's got like this nice mid range to it. That's not like the tubes, tube screamery mid-range where it's kind of like too humped it's just like this nice fat beautiful sound yeah that's awesome (laughs) well as we kind of like get towards the end here i do want to talk a little bit so you're based in portland area you talked about a little bit of the pedal builder and the amp builder scene kind of as a as a whole scene in portland uh, i mean some of the musicians that you've talked to how are they dealing with um the restrictions regulations and getting creative um what are some of the the stories that you've heard kind of from the local scene there? You know, I really haven't heard too much from the local scene outside of the builders and the builders are basically just adapting to the restrictions as they have to, you know, they, they, they still have the demand like we talked about earlier and they're doing their best to keep up with production. And, you know, sometimes they gotta, you know, they gotta have one guy in the shop because, you know, everyone's self-isolating (laughs) <laughs> you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, well, I can self-isolate at home and do nothing or I can self-isolate in the shop. It doesn't make any difference, you know. Um, so there's there's that. And uh, as far as the musicians go, I've mostly talked to people not from the area. And it's mostly been fairly established professionals that I've been in contact with recently, mm-hmm. which is... Gonna, they're going to have a different perspective than somebody who's just up and coming. Uh, but largely, like the the professionals that I've been talking to, they, they're they just kind of doing what they can. You know, some of them are doing live stream shows. Some of them are doing like basically podcasts. I see a lot of like live stream interviews happening now, which are, you know, video podcasts basically. And uh, a lot of them are doing that. They're just trying to do whatever they can to stay creative in this time and just real antsy to get going and back on the road and playing for people. But in the meantime, you know, there's a, there's a lot of creation happening. So that's never a bad thing. Yeah. Kind of like, as we've talked to, you know, we started doing, getting into the weekly shows probably late June and really ramping up just all these industry interviews and, and all the people that I've talked to, it's like, that's, that's like the greater hope for all of this is that, there's going to be a lot of cool songs coming out of this. There's going to be some innovative ideas. And, you know, when it all hit, I think we were all kind of like, you know, okay, now what? You know, and and I think people have kind of, you know, at least a lot of the people that I've talked to have kind of shaken the fog off a little bit. And they're like, all right, we this is reality, so we've got to do something with it. we got to do something about it. And let's see, you know, I've heard from different sources that, you know, audio interfaces are hard to keep in stock right now and people are home recording more than ever and things like that. So I'm excited to see what what things come out of this, whether it's a quarantine album or it's a, 
you know, a cool new riff or, you know, what, whatever it might be. Yeah. There's definitely things happening, you know, like, um, a friend of the show of my show, Rocky Cantonese, he's been on and, uh, he's been supporting the tone mob podcast for a long time. He asked me to play some guitar on a, on a cover track. And I mean, I haven't like done anything official like that in forever like forever and ever, you know, you know, and so like, I was like, okay, well, you know, if I'm doing it, you know, it sounds weird. Right. And I'm sure you can relate to this, but the more you tend to work in the gear industry, the less actual music most people tend to produce, which is kind of (laughs) weird. It's sad. It's, you would, (laughs) yeah, you speak truth. (laughs) You, You would think that it would be not that way, but literally everyone that I've talked to has been like, yeah, I don't really like write songs like I used to. I'm too busy, you know, working on the company or trying to figure out content or, you know, whatever they're trying to do. And I 100% can relate to that because everything musical I do, and I'm really thankful to be able to do music things on a regular basis, but it's all in service of like, show what this pedal sounds like and not like, you know, creating a piece just to create a piece, which I really need to get back to. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, we have, we've had some different uh, employees over the years that have been so much more intentional with at that, you know, like they're, they're like, I got to go home and jam. I got an idea in my head or we listen to music all day in the shop. So there was a riff that I got to go work out. And me, I'm like, you know, Oh, that we forgot to send the, you know, the pickup screws with this guy's strat set and, you know, he's mad or something. And I'm, I'm thinking about that when I go home or something like that, you know, I'm like, I don't want to pick up guitar, but I've, I've been, I've been challenged to do that more, but like a lot of different people, I think we are all, you know, people will come into the shop and say, Hey man, I can't believe you have so many guitars in here. This must be like so amazing. And I'm looking at the guitars on the wall. I'm like, that one needs to sell. This one needed. I need to change the pickups out, and I forgot a pickguard screw for the control plate on the back of this one, which I need to remember to reorder. You know, like this <laughs> is the way my brain goes when I start looking at the guitars. Like, and it's very important for it to not become like, even though it is a product and a business, it's like you kind of can't forget the original passion of like just the love for the instrument. A hundred percent. And like, why do you love that instrument? Yeah, you don't exactly. you don't really like you you didn't fall in love with uh, you know insert guitar here Les Paul custom because it's a Les Paul custom you fell in love with it initially because some artist that you love made something amazing with it and then you fell in love with that instrument like so we got to use these things for what they're they're made for and it's been on my mind a lot lately I'll just be like man I I love music I love it so much I need to make some i used to make it i used to make music just for music's sake and now i make music to you know like i said show off what something sounds like which is equally you know important for people who you know are looking for a certain sound that this this stuff is all really important to have demos and things out there but it's not as creatively satisfying as writing a song that you're really happy with yeah definitely and like and and there's so many songs in in our gear that have not come out yet. And I think like we have that all have those, I think we did a show a ways back kind of about like gear regrets, you know, like I sold this, this guitar too early or I never really worked out this amp. And then it somehow comes back around into your, into your world and you hear someone playing it and you're like, man, I used to have that thing. And I really wish 
that I still had it. I should have kept it. That guy made it sound so good. You know, I I heard this story, and I don't know if it's true. I actually heard it from uh, Frank from My Chemical Romance when he came on the podcast. I, I was like, I was amazed by this story, and he had no idea if it was true either, either but I love it. If it, Regardless, it's a great story. So <laughs> Tom Waits was going into a guitar store, and he would go in there, and he would pick up this one acoustic guitar, and he'd look it over, and he'd kind of listen in the sound hole and just kind of looking at it and then he put it back and then he'd leave and he, he did this for a couple days the same guitar he'd come in and look at it and and then finally an employee you know they were trying not to bother him it's tom waits right and so they they go up to him and they're like hey tom do you you want to play this guitar you've been in here the last couple days looking at it and he just looked at him and was like nah this one doesn't have any songs left in it and he just put it down and left <laughs> wow. It's just like I don't know if that's true or not, but it's kind of an amazing story regardless. That's great. So he like it's almost like he wanted to buy it, he wanted to love it, and then just something it was like there's no creativity left in this thing. Yeah, like for him there he wasn't going to be able to pull anything out of that particular instrument. Wow. That's crazy. Some people are 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 like that though. Like they they, they know, you know, even even now you can find a a guitar on the rack of, you know, super mass produced import ones and you can find the magical the magical guitar and you know it's not worth anything to resell but it's worth a lot to you as a as a guitar, you know, guitarist so like man, I just bonded with this guitar. Why? You know. 100%. I mean, so that's I've brought up my custom so much on this episode. I'm not sure why. Maybe I need to play it some more. It's a sign. Uh it it was a dream guitar for me. And Frank was actually one of the guys that really made me want one as a young dude. And uh, for years I would go and like play a custom and oh, I don't really like it. I was on the hunt for a Les Paul custom and I really wanted to find one that I loved. And I started to think, well, maybe I actually don't like this formula. Maybe I don't like Les Paul customs. And finally one day, again to, at Old Town, this one showed up. And I picked it up and strummed it. I'm like, uh oh, I think this is the one. And <laughs> that's that's I the, didn't. That's a dangerous thing for your wallet too. When you're like, oh no, I shouldn't have done this. It will. It, so you you'll be amazed at my willpower. I said, <laughs> I'm not going to plug this in because I think I know what's going to happen. Yeah. And so I put it down. I left the store. I went home and I kept talking about it. <laughs> oh no justifying like, it in your head right no i was just like man i really wish i could buy that guitar right now i was like and i i could i had the money but it also like it's one of those things where you like yeah you can but you probably shouldn't like you know <laughs> yeah the, and so i just was like man i just want this and finally my wife like after like two or three days she was like would you stop talking about this stupid guitar and go buy it nice nice <laughs> and i was like that's it i'm going and i just hopped in the car and uh and bailed, and uh, yeah, now here it is. That's I plugged cool. it in. What I thought was going to happen happened, and I was like, "Yep, this is coming home with me." That's awesome. And you seem like—I mean, you seem like a guy that you know. You still have a lot of guitars. When we were there, we were on the the Tone Mob podcast last fall. I don't remember what episode it was. I should have looked that up. But we were on there. You can find us on the on the uh, on Blake's podcast. But uh, yeah, I. I think it's, I don't know, it's one of those things where you, 
you look at it and you're like, okay, you've kept you've kept a lot of guitars for a long time. You you're not maybe like some typical guitar players that are are jumping ship very quickly. You know why is that? Because I traded a guitar one time, and I still wish I had it. Mm. <laughs> so it, it, all it took was one time of of you like getting rid of a cool piece of gear and you're like i'm done i'm never doing this again yeah and it was one of those things where i really didn't need to so it was a cheap japanese guitar it was it was a short scale four pickup like really weird guitar and it it was called marquise or marquis excuse me and it was just very it was a very strange guitar but i really liked it one year my wife decided or maybe i kind of coaxed her into it i don't remember how this works worked uh that she was gonna play bass and i was like this is gonna be awesome my wife's gonna play bass and i'm gonna play guitar and then this will be so fun we can start a band this will be great and so i was looking for a a cheap but good bass for her and i stumbled across one and uh uh no i'm getting this story mixed up the bass went first that was, <laughs> I'm getting this story all crosswise. Wow. When you start getting older, things get a little fuzzy. So the bass, I got her the bass. She didn't end up really wanting to play bass. And I traded the bass for this guitar. That's what happened. Oh, okay. Fast forward several years later, and I got the bug for a melody maker. I really wanted a vintage melody maker. And one popped up again at Old Town. It's a 1965 with the both the neck and the bridge pickup, which is a little bit weird. Not that many melody makers out there have both. Um, comparatively, like you usually see the single pickup ones. That's just the the majority of what was out there. And I really enjoyed it. And I was like, well, you know, justifying it in my head, I was like, I'll trade this marquee because it's you know the cheapest guitar I have, and then I won't have too many guitars, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, it'll save me a couple hundred bucks and yeah, yada, yada. And as soon as I did that, I was like, man, I don't know if that was the move. And then like a week later, I was like, I'm going to go back and buy it back. Like, it's only a couple hundred bucks. It'll be fine. And it was gone. And I have no idea where it went. Oh, man. And I still have the Melody Maker and I love it. I love it to death. It's fantastic. But I do wish I still had the marquee. So yeah, <laughs> so there's the, the long time. backwards way of <laughs> explaining that. Yeah. I mean, I, I've kind of, you know, unfortunately I think I've gotten numb to like guitars leaving my life. Um, not, and it's all been really good things. A, a lot of times for us, it's been like, you know, baby's about to be born and we want to make sure we have, you know, all the important stuff for that kind of, you know, that kind of deal. And, selling the guitar to, to pay for part of the birth or pay for, um, you know, supplies, whatever it might be. Um, so I've, I've done that several times and, and there's been a few times like earlier on in our, our company history where that's all I had that was actually any value. So in order to keep right. the, in order to keep the business afloat, I had to say goodbye to different pieces of gear at that point. So I, I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that I want back, but I also feel like everything had sort of a place. So I'm like, well, at least I had it and I could sell it and keep the lights on or something like that, you know? So it's always, 
everything's been very purposeful, but it doesn't mean I don't miss the Tom Anderson Cobra that I had and the Les Paul R9 and <laughs> all these other, all and, these other, and, uh, and, 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 yeah, there's probably like yeah. six that I'm like, that are coming to my mind, but I don't really want to talk about it right now. So <laughs> well, here's the thing. And I know this is going to happen someday and I don't know like what I'm going to do when it happens or like how I'm going to handle it. But at some point in my life, the shred shed is going to be full mm. and I will not be able to acquire anything else which is the epitome of first world problems. I recognize that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but my question is like, what am I going to get rid of when that happens? Like, I don't know. Pedals are, are one thing. I don't have much emotional attachment to pedals outside of just loving guitar pedals. But, and the reason I don't have much emotional attachment to it is because 99% of the pedals I have I could just call the dude up and be like, hey, can I have another one of these and like get it made, you know, by my friend? And, it, you know, I could always replace it, I guess, is the is the thing. My guitars, I don't necessarily feel that way about. I don't know that I could replace them exactly. The only one that I like think I could get rid of relatively easily and probably probably will at some point is my Rickenbacker. And that's just because. You know, I love it, but not nearly as much as the rest of my guitars. But I also like know a guy, <laughs> yeah, who I could, I could get another one someday if I really needed to. And this one's not like emotionally connected to me in any way, so that one I could definitely see leaving at some point. But yeah, other than that, I'm like I don't know about all these other ones. All these other ones have a story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not like the. You know, I went down to Guitar Center and there was 25 black squires on the wall and I got number 17 and it's awesome. You should trust me. You know, it's not it's right. not like that's that's cool and it may be the magical one of 25, but it's not, you know, it's not my grandpa gave me this and he, you know, he bought it in, you know, the 50s. I mean, that's that's a completely different and maybe that's why guitars are so cool is usually there is a story that's attached to it that becomes, you know, a lot more personal. Like I had a, I had a Strat that I bought new in the 90s and, and it was um, gone for 10 years and I actually repurchased it. Um, so that was cool for me to like find the Strat because I had to get a Sunburst Strat because I love Stevie Ray Vaughan so much. And then I traded it. I, I, I think I went into like a metal phase or something. I'm not sure what I, what I was thinking, but I got a, like a, a pointy Schecter in a Mesa Tremoverb amp. Mm -hmm. And I traded the Strat in a Blues Deluxe tube amp for for some of that gear purchase. And then it was like kind of one of those things where then I was like, I really miss single coils and Fender Clean Tone. Like, oh wait, I used to have that. <laughs> you know? Kind of <laughs> like, I should probably I should probably get those things back again. But it ended up being able to get the exact guitar back, which was which was pretty cool. Um, that doesn't always happen. How did that happen? Um, it, it was actually, it was a friend of mine and his brother had it. And his brother, I was like, there's no way his brother still has it, but he actually did. So it was one oh, of those. Man. Like it was one of those where it probably should have ended up on eBay and who knows where, but it didn't. So it was kind of cool. It was like, oh, it's destiny. I need to get it back. You know, <laughs> I need to reacquire this because it's a, uh, it's meant to be, you know. 
Because I think I, I think I got it from a musician's friend back when they were not Guitar Center connected, I believe. And they just, you know, you got the catalog in the mail and it was like, oh man, I want to get this American Standard. And I'm like, Dad, can I borrow your credit card? I just have cash. <laughs> you know, and that was one of my first like real guitar purchases. And, and I just remember that like, okay, I got to get this back and I can't sell it. Like I've tried to, and like, sounds like your wife really, really supports your your gear habit and mine does as well. And she, she was like, you can't sell that guitar again. You understand? I'm like, well, but we need money. She's like, you're not selling that guitar. So I'm like, thank you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my, my wife is uh, selectively supportive. Okay. Yeah, I'm always, I mean, I'm always astounded when like that was one, that was, that was the one she's only suggested that I buy gear twice. And one was that Les Paul and the other is the Carmine street jazz master that I have. She was like, after I interviewed Rick, she was like, you need to buy one of his guitars. I'm, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to afford one of these things. And uh, then I asked him like, hey, how much for one of these? And he told me, I'm like, oh, whoa, okay, I can afford one of those. That is about $5,000 less than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so Right. That's awesome. That's very cool. Yeah. Well, Blake, thanks for so much for being on the show today. It was good to catch up with you again and, and uh, nice to hear hear how things have been going for you. Um, do you want to go ahead and plug the the two main podcasts that that you're on? For those who are listening to our show and maybe haven't ventured into the world that world, I, I'd listen to those podcasts uh, pretty frequently, so I definitely want to want to plug them. But why don't you kind of tell people how to find those those two main podcasts? Sure thing. Uh, in whatever podcast player you're using to listen to this, you can go up to the search, and if you want to hear me interviewing various people. I interview builders. I interview guitar players from bands, you know, all kinds of different people, people I never thought I would get to talk to, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and, um, you can find that as the tone mob podcast. You search the tone mob and it will come up. And if you want to hear me and Brian Wampler talking about all the, everything you can think of, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but mostly guitars and amps and then goats and uh, who knows what else. But you can find that at the Chasing Tone podcast in whatever podcast player you're using right now. Nice. And then and then finally for those, you've been kind of teasing these other podcasts. What would be a good way for people to kind of keep those on the radar and find out about the uh, Alien podcast and the the um, String Joy podcast? Yeah, so the best way for that, because I'll definitely be announcing those to my newsletter subscribers, so I don't email all that often, but when I have something new or you know a giveaway or something interesting going on, I shoot a newsletter out, and you can go to ToneMob.com. You'll see a little tab that says Join the Mob, and you can click that, and that's just where you put in your email address, and I don't sell those or do anything with them other than just email people about stuff that I think they're interested in. So that would be where I'll be announcing that stuff if and when it happens. Excellent. Well, that that sounds intriguing enough. Um, although you know, maybe two two podcasts uh, of you talking is is you know maybe that's enough for some people. But maybe if you want to, you know, for those listening, if you want to go even deeper into weird and random, it sounds like there's going to be some really really cool opportunities for you to do that as you're sitting at home and and working from home like like everyone is right now. Exactly. So, yeah. Right on. Well, thanks, Blake, for being on. And and uh, for those uh, who have listened to our podcast through the summer, we appreciate you guys uh, 
taking a listen and, and kind of diving in with this. If you have guest suggestions, if you have topic suggestions, go ahead and shoot us an email, info at porterpickups.com. You can also find our podcast at the Podbean page, um, uh, Porter Pickups. And you can search on Podbean for that on iTunes as well. And then under the community tab at porterpickups.com. Thanks for listening, guys.